seat and we'll get started. Um, let's see here. We're going to kick things off with a, um, with a video here, but just want to remind everyone, make sure you, if you don't live with your dad, if you have the opportunity, make sure you give your dad a call, Facebook him, give him a text, something like that. Um, if you happen to live with your dad, I'm, I'm positive they, they wanted me to let you know they like cash, checks, credit cards, or, you know, money orders, all that works. So, uh, but no, uh, we're going to, I'm going to go ahead and pray here, and then we'll watch this clip, and this, uh, some of you might recognize this video clip, and some of you might not, but I thought it's a, it's a battle scene, and you know, I just thought, what, what dad's heart is not stirred by a good battle scene, you know, and so uh, we're going to extract some lessons from this, uh, uh, this scene, it's actually, you know, a historic event that occurred, we're going to try to pull out some, some lessons from that to apply to our lives today, especially as dads, but... I think some of the things we'll look at this morning would apply to anyone who is trying to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And you can figure out how some of these truths might apply to your world, your roles, your responsibilities. But we especially want to speak to, to the hearts of you dads here this morning. So I'm going to go ahead and pray. And then we're going to watch, uh, watch a video clip. Make sure, dads, if you didn't... Uh, Make sure you get your gift uh, at the back of the room there. And, you know, I think there might be a few extra if you want to take one to a dad who's not here. That's fine, too. I, uh, I saw one that I don't have yet. It's a, it's a handy tool for dentistry at your house if you, if you don't have something like that already. So that's, that's great. I'm glad we offered that this year. So uh, anyways, I'll go ahead and pray, and we'll jump into this video clip. Ah, well, Heavenly Father, we do uh, thank you for this day. We do honor you as, as our Father, as, as the creator of our souls. And um, Lord, we just ask that you would meet with us here this morning. I ask that um, as we look at some, some truths from your word, that, that you would speak to our hearts. I pray especially that you would encourage all the dads that are in this room and encourage us as disciples, uh, everyone who is your disciple. And we just ask for all this grace. We ask you'd have your way in our hearts, in our homes, in our lives, in this world. And we pray for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yes, sir, but they're on their way to Richmond, sir. Richmond! Today, they've done enough for today. Lars, why'd you meet this fellow from Alabama? Captain Hawkins? This is my brother, Colonel Chamberlain. Sir. Sir, half a minute down. Most of the rest are wounded. The left is too thin, sir. How are we fixed for ammunition? It's almost gone. Sir, we're running out. You don't have much left to shoot with. Some of the boys got nothing at all. Sir, sir, what do we do for ammunition? Sir, my boys have to pick up red muskets and they're firing back with them. Sir, we ought to pull out. No, we can't do that. We can't hold them again, sir. You know that. Well, if we don't, they go on by and over the hill and the whole flank caves in. Sir. Here they come. We 
can't run away. And if we stay here, we can't shoot. So let's fix bayonets. We'll have the advantage of moving down the hill. They gotta be tired, the revs. They gotta be close to the end if we are. So fix bayonets. Ellis, wait, Ellis, you take the left wing, I'll take the right. I want a right wheel forward of the whole regiment. What, you mean charge? Yes, but here's what we do. We're going to charge swinging down the hill. Just like we pulled back this left side of the regiment, now we're going to swing it down. We swing like a door. We're gonna sweep them down the hill just as they come up. Understand? Does everybody understand? Yes, yes sir. sir. Okay, Ellis, you take the left wing, and when I give the command, I want the whole regiment to go forward swinging down to the right. All right, sir. Fine. Move.
All right, well, you could take a vote on it. We keep watching the movie or hear the message? Yeah. All in favor of the movie? Aye. All right, ayes have it. Uh, you know, for some of you that don't, uh, don't know the story of uh, the Battle of Little Round Top, it was, uh, some would say, um, arguably the, the most pivotal, pivotal critical uh, fight in the Civil War. Some would say the entire Civil War, the outcome turned at that moment, after that fight on that hill. Uh, some of you might know it was, that battle was on, uh, let's see, July 2nd, 1863. The next day, because uh, uh, the North was able to defend that hill, the next day General Lee decided instead of going uh, against the flank that he would go right in the center of the army. Um, and you know, some of you know the disastrous results from that was known as Pickett's Charge. Thousands of men from the south lost their lives and they went on. Many would say because of that they went on to lose the war and, and thank God for that. But um, you know um, this the situation here was uh, you know that regiment that was represented holding that hill was the 20th Maine and they were uh, you know the shape of the army. The fighting on July 1st had happened and kind of the north had gotten pushed back and they got pushed back into these hills and uh, so the fighting on the second day there, July 2nd, uh, it had the entire uh, army of the Potomac uh, in this J shape and it was kind of this J shape across over a mile and on the one side was where the assignment was given to the 20th Maine and they were told to defend that position at all costs and the ramifications were that if the south hit there and flanked and they would have access to shoot down, uh, you know, basically directly across the entire army, uh, the Union forces there, and would likely destroy them. And so they were told to defend that position. And the fighting went on that afternoon uh, for, for one to two hours, and waves of uh, the troops of the South came up there from the, the Alabama Regiment and Texas. And, um, you know, they just kept coming, and they kept coming, and they kept trying to go around the, the flank of the 20th Maine there. And eventually, um, as you see in the scene there, they realized that the Colonel Chamberlain there realized, you know, they were running out of ammunition. He'd encouraged them to take all the ammunition from the dead and, and the casualties, and they, had, they were down to their last round of ammunition. He knew they could not hold the position any longer. He knew because of the ramifications they could not retreat, and so he came to the only conviction he could see, which is to fix bayonets and charge. They were outnumbered more than two to one, some would say up to four to one, uh, with only bayonets. And, and he said, you know, we've got the downhill advantage here. We have no other option. Let's just charge. And so they charged down that hill against the odds and, and weary and um, with, with no ammunition. And, you know, they caught the south by surprise in between waves. And they actually routed... Um, the regiments that were down the hill from them, and they began to retreat, and they began to take, they took, uh, uh, some would say, four times as many captives from that battle as they actually had uh, in the 20th Maine at that point. And some of them, there was, there was a joke, some of them, they took captives there, and a lot of them had rifles or muskets that they were holding people captives, and they did not have bullets in them, and so they, you know, tried to keep it on the down low, that if they wanted to get away, they probably could have. But it was... Uh, an epic victory that day, and uh, in a historic, I mean, a monumental challenge that was before them. In some ways, I, I see our situation today. You know, Dad's is, is um, 
we have a challenge before us that I believe is monumental. And we're living in a day and age where as believers and as followers of Christ, we are outnumbered in, in ways that we never have been before in the history of the United States of America. And there is a culture that is not pro-Christian like it used to be. And, um, you know, our resources are limited. In some ways, dads are uh, probably like men of the 20th Maine, weary. And they've been fighting and been at this for a while and maybe overwhelmed by the challenge that is before them. And, um, and yet I think we, we must rise to the occasion like those men did back then and, um, and like Colonel Chamber, Chamberlain led them into. And, you know, um, I was just struck by when I'm thinking about this challenge, I read an article this week um, forwarded on to me by another pastor from one of our churches in Florida. And it was an article about how there is um, a growing sentiment on... Uh, college campuses and universities throughout the United States of America that to be a Christian organization on campuses um, who have uh, requirements for being a leader in that campus organization, there's now a, a movement across the United States and policies that will not allow you as a Christian organization to uh, have leadership requirements for your group that relate to your faith in Jesus Christ and, and your stand on what you believe might be right or wrong as it relates to, to sexual immorality. And there's campuses that if you do not, if you have in your policy anything related to your faith in, in Jesus or related to your leaders can't be sexually immoral and be a leader in your organization, uh, many of these organizations are now getting kicked off of college campuses. They're not being allowed to be officially recognized. Some of these groups would include ones that you might have come through the ranks in, in your campus, uh, InterVarsity or Crusade or different ones like that. Uh, this article that I read, it just came out last week in the New York Times, was, uh, I thought it was a little bit ironic that the campus, the kind of, uh, that they showcased was a campus in Maine uh, called Bowdoin College. And it happened to be the school where uh, Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain graduated college from, where he was a professor at, where he became the president of and eventually the governor of Maine. And at that college, um, one of the last surviving Christian organizations that would take a stand, a biblical stance on morality like we would, um, they got kicked off that campus. And, and there's a wave across the United States. The article said that in uh, uh, California, in, in uh, California State Universities that represent over 400,000 students on 23 campuses, they are, they are now having this sweep through their organizations as well. And you know, I'm just thinking about uh, so, some of us and some of our kids that will be on these campuses soon, and they're going to be, there's a battle going on, and there's a battleground on these college campuses and in high schools and other places that um, the climate that we're going to be sending in, them into is going to be more hostile than it has ever been. Uh, in the United States of America. And, you know, I think the solution to that challenge is, is one of the same solutions that, that, General, that Colonel Chamberlain came to that day and um, that he led his men into. And so we're going to talk about that, um, the need here. But we're just going to pray one more time about this, uh, this epic, this monumental, this maybe even historic challenge that is before us today, dads and disciples. Let's, let's pray one more time. Well, Heavenly Father, we just want to look to You, Lord. I pray that You would help us to catch a sense of the urgency of the issues that are before us as, as followers of Christ, that are before us as dads, that are before this church and um, on the campuses that many here go to. And Lord, I just pray You'd give us 
wisdom. I pray You'd give us faith. I pray that You would give us courage, Lord, uh, to rise up for Your causes in a way that is righteous, in a way that is uh, without compromise. And God, I just pray that even in these next few verses that we look at, You would stir our hearts. You would stir, especially us as dads, to action, whatever action You would want us to take, starting within our own homes. And we just ask again for Your grace this morning to speak to us, uh, to lead us into Your will and to Your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. So, um, let's see this next slide we have here. Um, Let's forward through these uh, real quick, Dale, and go to the next slide if we can. Outnumber, under-resourced, overwhelmed. You know, the solution to their challenge, again, is the same solution I think that is one of our greatest needs today. And if you look at this as Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain, the solution is not a handlebar mustache. That is not going to be the solution, though that is popular today. Um, but you know, he, he saw uh, the options is that, um, that were before him, leading that regiment, that he could not retreat. You know, it was not unusual for the soldiers of the Northern Army to retreat. They were commonly found retreating up to this point in the Civil War. But he did not see that as an option. He did not see staying put as an option um, because he knew they'd get overrun or they'd have to surrender. And, um, and so the only, it was his conviction that they must courageously charge forward here. This was uh, later he was given a medal of honor here that said it was for his daring heroism and great tenacity in holding his position on Little Round Top uh, and even uh, advancing the position to the Great Round Top. And, and I just think we've been given an assignment to not only hold the ground here, uh, brothers and sisters and husbands and wives and moms and dads, but we've been given uh, commands to advance the kingdom of God, to advance the gospel. And we need to realize uh, the need today. We'll forward to the next one here. Let's go through this next. We cannot retreat. We cannot stay put. And we must charge. But the need for today, I think, is, is for courage. And, and we're just going to talk about some ways to grow and develop courage here. We're going to talk about our need for real courage. Uh, I don't pick the word real accidentally, if you see. It's a good opportunity for an acronym uh, full of uh, spiritual truth here. So, real. Um, and, you know, in some ways I thought about as we think of dads, you know, more and more God's put it on my heart that we, we never really in the life of the Firehouse Church have rallied dads together. We even ha- haven't done that great of job rallying men together. And I think this fall we're talking about plans for starting a, a men in trainings, once a month getting all the men together. Probably have times where we break down into subsets, where we have dads and husbands and single men. And we speak to things that would encourage those brothers. And, and in the women's side of things, we, we started doing... Um, you know, we have a, a MAC time, which is called Mothers and Children. MAC, great, another great acronym, beautiful acronym. Um, I thought if we started a dad's time, we could call it Dads and Disciples. Acronym being... Dad, very powerful. Um, and so, uh, but some of these things we're going to look at will apply to all of us as disciples. We, there's a need for real courage among everyone who would claim to be a follower of Christ. And I, I hope that you would look at your world and your responsibilities and your role uh, as we look at these truths. I'm going to talk especially to dads, but I do think there's things that would apply to all of us here. So let's. Um, Let's look at this acronym real quick. I'll give you a quick overview of what REAL stands for. Some of you might have seen this before. This is one we used in a, a men's teaching a couple years ago. Uh, it's, it's one that's been used in, in men's fraternities in the past. Um, but the, the truths that it represents, I think, relate to dads really well. But for the R is to um, the need to reject passivity. The E is that we need to expect God's backing, God's blessing. The A 
We must accept responsibility. And the L, we must lead courageously. And as we develop, uh, to develop our courage, the courage that we're going to need, I think we're going to have to exercise in each one of these. And we're just going to talk about each one of these. And then we're going to get on our way with uh, our barbecue, our our barbecues, our tools, and and all the other things you have going today. But first, we're just going to hopefully encourage uh, the hearts of every one of you here, especially dads. But let's look at... um, the, the next slide we've got here. So, uh, is this the one developed? Uh, the next point here as well. So we're going to look at uh, the idea of reject passivity. You know, um, I think we've got... How about the next point there as well, Dale? You know, when it came to um, Colonel Chamberlain's thoughts there, there was a quote he had after the war that he wrote. Um, he wrote this about their, their situation. He said... Um, He said, I had deep within me the inability to do nothing. I knew I may die, but I also knew that I would not die with a bullet in my back. That phrase there, he said, he had this conviction, I had the inability to do nothing. He knew that doing nothing would lose the day, that would lose the fight, it would lose the cause. And so he had a conviction that he could not just stand there, he could not retreat. Uh, Again, there were other leaders in the in that same army that did not have that same conviction when push came to shove but um, Chamberlain did and so um but you know I think uh, when it comes to rejecting passivity here uh, we just got to speak to that real quick one of the examples here we have an example from the Old Testament that I think we need to catch as dads as men in general um, many would say that back in the original the fall of Adam and Eve that uh, man's error from the beginning there was that Adam did not engage to protect Eve who was debating with the devil who was being tempted with the fruit who actually took the fruit and gave it to him and he did not engage and in some ways the air of passivity has been passed on to men and and, um, and we see that in this Old Testament dad, uh, who was a priest of Israel at the time. And there's a few things I just want to draw out of errors to avoid. Avoiding the errors of Eli. And this is uh, recorded, in, um, it's recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 2. And I just want to read a couple things there. You know, at one point, God sent a prophet to speak to Eli. And he said this, he said... Um, well, first, there's a, Eli confronts his sons. They're doing things. They're being greedy. They're stealing the sacrifices from the people that are offering them. They're sleeping with peop- women in the, uh, in the tabernacle area there. And so Eli confronts them. And he says, why do you do such things? This is First uh, Samuel chapter 2 and uh, 23. But it says, why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, this is not a good report that I hear spreading among the Lord's people. And he goes on to say, you know, he corrects them a little bit, and it says, However, his sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. And it goes on to say that the Lord sent a prophet, a man of God, to speak to Eli. And he kind of rebukes Eli, and he says, Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribe for my dwelling? Why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering? made by the people of Israel. And he really says, hey, why, why are you honoring your sons over me? You're letting them get away with this in the house of God. Later on, uh, the, the young man of God, Samuel, the very first assignment he gets when he hears from the Lord, you know, it says, the old story where he says, speak to me, Lord, your servant is listening. The very first message he got was to go tell Eli this. Um, 
And this is, it says, uh, this is in 1 Samuel 3. At that time I'll carry out against Eli everything I spoke against this family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons made themselves contemptible and he failed to restrain them. And it goes on to talk about that. But Eli had to, you know, Samuel woke him up the next day and said, Eli, what did the Lord tell you? And Samuel's first message was, well, Eli, uh, the Lord is going to discipline. He's going to kill your sons. He's going to punish you forever, your family line forever, because you did not restrain your sons from sin in this house. And, and man, we've got to watch out for the air of passivity. You know, he knew some things were going on. He, even, he probably even got grumpy with his sons a little bit. He said, I can't believe you guys are doing this. But the Lord's assessment was that, Eli, you did not stop this. You did not restrain your family members from doing this. And therefore, I will punish you. And I will punish them. And, and dads, we have got to avoid the error of passivity. Things that uh, may be natural to a man to not engage. And we have got to watch out for this error. And all disciples, you know, when it comes to spiritual things, spiritual action, many times our flesh can cause us to want to be passive when we should step forward. And, and our flesh can cause us to want to take action when we should not. And we've all got to watch out for this air of passivity. And a great example here in Colonel Chamberlain, that he said, I, I have the inability to do nothing. And I hope that would be our hearts as well as we think about the challenge before us. Let's look at this next, uh, this next point here about expecting God's backing. So... Uh, in order to develop this real courage, again, we must expect God's backing. Now, there's a couple of verses on this. Let's see, uh, maybe uh, hit the next point here. Yeah, there we go. Um, you know, it was throughout, if you read writings about the Civil War, there were many godly men involved in the Civil War. Uh, and maybe even hard to believe there were godly men on both sides of the war who maybe found loyalties to their, their state or things like that, even beyond some of the causes that you go, how could a godly person be fighting for that cause? Um, but there are many writings from Chamberlain's to Abraham Lincoln's to, to many people who had the perspective that God allowed this war to occur in the United States to, uh, to rid this country, to cleanse it of the atro uh, atrocious sin that was going on related to slavery. And it was a horrible thing and war is usually a, a judgment of God on a nation. And Abraham Lincoln and many believed it was a judgment on this nation. And... Um, but that's why many people also believe there were different battles that God actually intervened on. There were some that say that God intervened on Little Round Top that day. There are some that say God intervened likely in the next day when it was almost like General Robert E. Lee, who was a mastermind on the battlefield, was blinded that day by pride. And he thought, you know what, my troops can do this. They've not been whipped yet. We can, do, we can go to the heart of the enemy and we can win. And they did not. And it's like God blinded him that day. Others, you know, I would agree with others that say, you know, there's a Stonewall Jackson was another commander, very courageous leader on the southern army there. And he, he died uh, before Gettysburg here. And I believe that part of the reason why is because uh, God intervened because that was not the cause that he wanted to back. And he was a courageous leader and his writings are, he had quite a relationship with the Lord. But, um, you know, God was not for that cause. 
and I believe he intervened. Some would say, and I couldn't remember, I was trying to find the article when I uh, had done a lot of reading on this in the past, but it was either Chamberlain or someone else said that when they charged down the hill, there seemed like there was something going on more than meets the eye. They quoted, uh, I think it's 2 Samuel 25, one of the battles where it talks about David was going to fight, and, and the Lord tells him, hey David, wait till you hear the sound of marching in the trees overhead, and then attack. And he did, and he won that battle. But some say that what happened on Little Round Top was something to the same degree, that there was a sound going through the trees that was beyond the a small number of soldiers that were charging down the hill. They believed that God might have intervened there. And, and I think we just, the thing I want us to come away with is that when God has a cause and God's back, we have to expect that God's going to back us when we are um, involved in His cause and something that's on His heart here. Let's look at this next one here. Um, you know, and I just want to let you know, dads, you've got to expect God's back. And God has given you stewardship over the lives of eternal beings. Um, and He wants you to raise them and train them to honor God, to love God, and to love your neighbors, and uh, to get the good news of Jesus Christ out. And you've got to know that God wants to back your cause. There's no greater cause on this planet because it's an eternal cause. And it will have ramifications forever. And so you need to know, dads, that God's got your back covered. You can charge boldly ahead. Because He's got your back. And, um, you know, there's different ways that's expressed. One of the ways that I think about Jesus said, Hey, by the way, I'm giving you this huge mission to reach the world. And I want to let you know, I'm coming with you. I'm going to be with you as a resource with everything that you need to carry out your mission. And dads, it's true of you. Disciples, it's true of you as well. But we've got to realize, this promise here, 1 John 5, is one that talks about when you pray, anything that's in God's will, when you pray along that line, you can be confident that God will hear you and give you what you need. Dad, you can be confident when it comes to leading your families and leading out with the gospel. You can be confident that God wants to back you. Some of these promises, 2 Corinthians 9.8 talks about God is able to make all grace abound to you, dads. All grace abound to you, disciples. Um, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, You've got God's backing. You've got to expect it. Uh, last promise here. You know, my God will supply all your needs out of His glorious riches. Philippians 4 and 19. And so, we've got to expect His backing if we're going to charge forward like this. Another, the next point we're going to look at here. Um, again, to develop this courage, to, to exercise in the type of courage that we need, we've got to accept responsibility for our tasks, for our assignments here. Um, you know, when uh, Colonel Chamberlain was told to defend that hill at all, at all costs, at all costs means and meant to him, defend this hill or die trying. Defend it even if it costs you your life. And he took, took those orders personally. And he was a man who lived as, he, as if he was under orders. And... And he accepted responsibility for that task. Even you know, He said, hey, look, if I'm going to take a bullet, I'm going to take it in the face and not in the back. And he, he boldly charged forward. But we've got to realize as disciples, we are under orders. We, uh, we've been given orders. The question to all of us, any disciple and any dad, have you accepted responsibility for your marching orders? The orders have been given. Have you accepted responsibility for your orders there? And so... Um, just a, a couple verses to, to speak to that. I, I love this one here. And, um, 
It's uh, Acts chapter 1 and verse 2, and it's the one that's listed up there. But it says this in the New American Standard. It says, um, I'll start with verse 1, but um, I, Theophilus, uh, let's see, I compose this first account, Theophilus, because of all that, uh, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day He was taken up to heaven, after He had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom He had chosen. To these He also presented Himself alive after suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of forty days, and speaking to them concerning the things uh, the kingdom of heaven. Later on, verse 8, it just says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be My witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. But I love how it's phrased there. It says, Hey, Jesus through the Holy Spirit, has given the disciples, the the apostles, He gave them orders. Later on in Acts chapter 10, verse 42, Peter was preaching and he said, Hey, we've been ordered to testify to to what Jesus did, His death and His resurrection. They felt like they were under orders. Matthew 28, uh, 18-20 is another place where Jesus said, Hey, all authority on heaven and earth have been given to me. You know, he's basically saying, I have all authority. Like I said, and now you know, after the death and resurrection, that, that I proved I have all authority. And now here's what I want you to do. Go and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey. Teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And surely I'm with you always. But he gave these apostles the, the initial order. Some people will say, well, that was their deal and it's not ours. But you know what He said to them? Everything I've commanded you, I want you to teach them to obey. You know, they were commanded and they were to teach disciples to obey those same commands, to take on personally the very orders that they were given, to reach the world with the gospel, to make disciples and baptize and teach them. And So the orders have been issued. And again, the question becomes, have you taken responsibility for your orders? Have you accepted responsibility? And dads, there's even a few more specific orders. You know, every uh, phase of life has some other instructions that God has given them. But dads, there's instructions. I think about Deuteronomy 6.6 where Jesus, uh, when He quoted the great commandment, He quoted from Deuteronomy here. And, you know, He said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Um, And He was quoting from this passage. But it goes on to say, um, you're, you're to love God like that, but then you're to impress these commands on your children to, to talk about them day and night and when you're coming and going and basically saying dads love God with all your heart and impart that heart to your children that's an assignment especially for you dads I think about um, uh, Ephesians 6 and verse 1 through 4 again it's instructions to dad it talks about children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right he quotes uh, you know honor your father and mother that your days will be long with you all will be well with you but then he goes on to say and dads do not exasperate your children but raise them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord and so we've got that verse here but um, we've got to accept our marching order some of those specifically this one here fathers do not exasperate your children instead bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord Proverbs 22 uh, six, if you've ever been to a parenting seminar in our association of churches, if you've ever heard Rick Whitney speak before, this is a, a verse that you have heard. Train your, a child up in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. And, and Rick, one of his messages again and again was, you can win with every one of your children, dads. You can. By God's grace, you can do this. And you should aim for this. And um, So this last point here, just uh, related to the L, is we've got to lead courageously. 
And, you know, you've got to accept responsibility for your orders, and we've got to lead courageously in them. And I just want to give you a couple practical examples here, dads, as it relates to this uh, leading courageously. Um, the next one we have here. You know, we have to lead courageously as we train our children to obey us. You know, verse, uh, verse 1 of, of Ephesians chapter 6 here says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Colossians 4.20, I think it's 4.20, uh, it says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Is that Colossians 4.20? That's a... Uh, 320, exactly, exactly what I thought. Um, but uh, just testing you, Rob. You know, memory madness. They're just making sure you're on the up and up here. Um, but, you know, there's but a question for you, dads. Uh, children are supposed to obey their parents in everything. Who's supposed to teach them that? Who's supposed to train them and instruct them in that? Uh, if you think it's dads, can I get an Amen. Amen. Dads, we, we are the ones that are supposed to teach them to obey. I think about even disciples, making disciples. It says, teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. We're to teach people to obey, obviously God, but um, parents, kids are to obey you. And, and I think most people would understand that you're to obey your parents until you no longer live with them, until you're no longer being provided for by them. And still there's an honor after that, but the obedience kind of looks differently. But we've got to be training them to obey because... You know, if you've had kids before, if you've had babies, it doesn't come naturally. You know, they don't just wake up and say, what can I do? What next, Dad? Uh, you know, what, uh, um, it doesn't happen like that. They've got to be trained in this, and so we've got to help them. Um, the next point we've got there is um, another thing that I, I just think is crucial is that we've got to train them when it comes to, we've got to train folly out of them. This Proverbs 22.15 says that folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from them. Folly is wrapped up in a child's heart. And if it does not get removed from them, it will be with them uh, through their, from a child to a young adult to a full-grown adult. Uh, and folly doesn't go away on its own. It has to be disciplined out of them. He says, use the rod of discipline. And I just want to encourage dads, you know, when it comes to obeying your parents, sometimes people might say, my kids obey me pretty good. Well, you know, I, the next question would become, do you ever ask them to do anything that's against their will? Because if you don't, they'll probably do pretty good, you know. I know my kids, if I ask them to do everything they want to do, they love that. They're great with that. But if you ever cross a child's will to do something that they don't want to do, that's when trouble hits. And you have to decide what you do there. It was uh, written about King David with one of his sons. He said that he never crossed that child. And that child grew up eventually to want to kill him. Um, but he said he never crossed that child's will. And, and parents, you have a decision before you. Uh, who, who's going to win in the battle of wills? Will it be them and a child will train you to what they like and what they don't like, what they prefer and don't prefer? Because that's going on everywhere. Or will you train them? I'll just give you a hint, you're under orders to train them, and, and yet the other thing's happening all the time. There's kids that are training their parents when they, will do, when they will go to bed, when they will wake up, what they will eat, and they're doing a good job training their parents in this generation. But may that not be true with us. We've got to engage with removing folly, and you can use obedience as a way to do that. You know, when, uh, when they're obeying you, if you, you know, if the bar is really low to obey you as parents, um, they'll probably do a great job. But I think sometimes we need to realize that when we make it a, a right or wrong issue, an obedience issue on a subject that's foolish or, or where there's folly in their hearts, we're going to help train that out of them. We've got to start making sure that to obey us, they can't be obeying us and be full of foolishness at the same time. 
That would not be what God wants. And, and we've got to engage this, this thing of folly. And, you know, I remember, I'm just thinking of society, you know, the old saying, when I was a kid, um, when I was a kid, when I went to elementary and junior high, um, you know, that generation, when you went to elementary school, my principal put the fear of God in me. I got paddled a couple times as an elementary school kid, and it was not cool. It was uh, the paddle was this big, thick wood paddle, and it hurt like nothing I ever felt before. And back when I was a kid, you got paddled at school. You also got paddled at home. Can I get an amen? And uh, you know, not only were your parents working to get folly out of you, your principal was, and that was elementary school. Junior high, we had this principal that put the fear of God in people. He was an ex-Vietnam vet, and he was this real strong Hispanic guy with a really deep voice. And he would walk around that school like he owned the place. And, and he did. And there were times, my dad was a middle school teacher with him, but there were times where my dad said, you know, this guy would get him there just to kind of put a little fear of the Lord, you know, fear of the principal in these kids. He One time he was talking to this kid, just got in his face, and, you know, if you ever do that again, he took his paddle and he slammed it on the desk. And the kid passed out, you know. And it was... Um, <laughs> But you know what? We don't live in that type of generation anymore. You know, we don't have... Society is not helping us remove folly from our kids. You know, as a matter of fact, many schools, teachers have their hands tied when it comes to disciplinary issues. And a lot of times, if you correct their kid, you're going to get a parent who wants a conference with you. How dare you engage with their children's behavioral issues that have spilled over into your classroom? And it's a different world that we live in. And somebody has got to engage with the folly of this, these children. And... Uh, you know, I think about the same time in this day and age, one of the things that can be engaged with more than anything, I'm going to wrap up as fast as I can here. Um, one of the things that has to be engaged with is, um, is this issue of, of folly and foolishness. But one of the things that I think our school systems and our culture has raised the bar on is dietary concerns, nutritional value. We've got the highest bars I've ever seen before. When I was a kid in the school cafeteria, you know, who knows what they put in that food. And, um, and you asked for more, you know. It was, um, but nowadays they're just thinking through what, what is in there and is it is it clean food and has it got sugars in it? I don't. When I was a kid, you know what we drank? Kool-Aid, and all it was was sugar and water. And our generation did not turn out that bad. Um, but nowadays, people are so they're a lot more concerned with what goes into a child's stomach than what comes out of their heart. And you know, it's a, it's a really foolish thing that's going on there. And you know, Jesus spoke to this subject, right to this subject. And He was addressing a group of Pharisees. And they were more concerned what was going on with someone's diet and what they were eating than what was going on in their heart. And Jesus said this to them, and I think it applies to us today. But He says, um, this is in Mark chapter 7. Verse uh, 18, but he says, Don't you see that nothing enters a man? These verses that say a man, I'm going to substitute a child for this just because it's relating to a person, and I'm talking about children right now. But uh, don't you see that nothing uh, outside a child makes him unclean, going into him? Rather, it's what comes uh, out of a child that makes him unclean. He goes on to say, Don't you see that nothing that enters the child from the outside can make him unclean? For um, it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach, and then it comes out of his body. Um, and, and in saying this, Jesus declared all food cleans. And then he goes on to say, what comes out 
of a ch- uh, what comes out of a child is what makes him unclean. From out of the hearts of man, out of the hearts of children, comes evil thoughts, immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, evil, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. And all these evils come from the inside and they make a child unclean. We've got people that are more concerned about what's going into the body and coming out the rear than what's coming out of their hearts. And you know, I'm convinced that uh, if people do not engage and uh, leave unchecked the foolishness of children, you know what happens? They grow into young adults and bigger adults that uh, it turns from foolish behavior to... uh, to dangerous behavior, to lawless behavior. You know, I believe our prison systems are filled with men and women who become lawless because no one ever told them they shouldn't, that that's foolish, that it's wrong. And we've got to make sure that we're engaged with this issue of folly. And it's got to be an obedience thing with you dads because if you're not engaging with it, I don't know who is. One of the things I've also observed that I want to ask you is, who is leading the way? Who is spearheading the charge of these dietary and nutritional concerns in our society? Who is leading the way? And it's a rhetorical question, so you don't have to answer. But um, I would say it is not dads. It is not dads. And who is leading the way and getting folly out of the hearts of children? Probably the same answer. It is not dads. And it should be. And it should be. And we've got to engage with this man. We've got to help remove folly from their hearts that they can grow to be men and women of character who are not growing up to be lawless and dangerous in a world where morality is, is just falling to pieces all around us here. And so, um, let's advance, Dale. The, the next one's here. We've got to be cultivating character in their lives. Again, you is obeying you. You know, when it comes to love and joy and peace and patience, the fruit of the Spirit, you know what, parents, you can turn that into an obedience thing because you want to help. Some people have asked, you know, well, what's the transition from obeying your parents to they have their own ownership of their character and things like that? Well, I would say somewhere as they become a young adult and they take ownership of that, parents are still involved. But I think you use obedience all the way and you start making obedience apply to love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. You know, um, I think of a lot of times we can elevate the academic world in this society. And, you know, kids are speaking Greek and Latin and Hebrew and all this stuff. But you know what? When you go, they go home and they're not speaking kindly to their parents or their siblings. They're speaking disrespectfully. I believe God cares more about their speech and, and the, their character than their, their curriculum. And, and I know, you know, we, we're all for curriculum. We train and teach people. But God places a higher value on what's going on in your life and in your heart and in your choices. And parents, I hope that you do as well. Um, We've got to train them in their mission. You know, I love that verse there. It says, train them in the way they should go. I think about training their heart and their character and their obedience, but also think of the way they should go is kind of the trajectory of their life. The way they should go is their mission. Are you training them in the way they should go? Are they catching that from your life? Uh, Because more is going to be caught from you than than is taught, and you're going to speak to them. And We need to be doing that. And so, um, you know, we're just going to wrap up here with... um, We know we cannot... um, We'll just hold on to that one there. We cannot retreat on this matter. We cannot stay still. And we must charge boldly forward. And we're going to do that by rejecting passivity. Let's just keep going with those there. We must reject passivity because we cannot stay put. We must accept God's backing because we have it. We must accept responsibility because we are under orders. 
And we must lead courageously. Men and women, dads, we, have, we hold in our hands. It's, a, it's an epic, it's a monumental thing, but we hold in our hands the next generation of disciples and leaders. And if we do not win this battle, I believe there will be a great loss in this next generation and in this nation. And we've got to realize it is a battle of epic proportions here. And so let's pray for that, um, pray related to this. Let's just bow our heads. Lord Jesus, we just, we just come to You and we tell You we are in, in great need. Lord, we are helpless without Your help. We, we do not have what we need for this task. We do not have the heart for it. We do not have the courage for it apart from You. Lord God, I pray that You help us to be men and women, to be disciples and, and to be husbands, wives, moms and dads who, uh, who are rejecting passivity, who are expecting Your backing, Your blessing who have accepted responsibility and who lead courageously in this day and age that we live. And Lord, we just tell you, we need your help. Without you, it is impossible. But with you, all things are possible. And we just ask, you help us here in the Firehouse Church. You help every disciple, every dad, every mom, every husband, every wife. And we just ask for this grace together this morning. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amen. Thank you guys for, for coming this morning. Have a great uh, Father's Day. And don't forget, next weekend, three locations. Saturday night right here uh, in the north, 11 o'clock, up at that park there that Rob talked about, in the south at the Davis's house. Um, so we'll hope to catch you in one of those three locations next weekend. Have a great week. Catch you later.